0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Are you looking to wager on all the big games and sports? Well, I've got some awesome news for you. Hey, the madness is here. Pro basketball is here. NHL, horse racing, golf, MMA, UFC, bet online. That's your go-to. Head over to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Who has that deal right now? Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE to get started and get your rewards B-L-E-A-V. It's betonline.ag where the game starts. Before sunrise, Burn Dairy & Deli is preparing to fuel your day with hot coffee, donuts, muffins,
1: breakfast sandwiches, and other morning staples. For lunch, grab a giant deli sandwich made the way you like it. Pizza, wings, wraps, or a fresh salad. Plus, something to wash it down. Then pick up dinner or a sweet treat and other pantry essentials. Now you can get your Burn Dairy & Deli favorites delivered with DoorDash. All day every day, you can
0: count on Burn Dairy and Deli. It's all good. Hi, this is Cal Ripkin Jr. and you're listening to the ML Sports Platter. ML Sports Platter, back with you. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. We are brought to you by the Allen Angus Pub, Welch & Company Jewelers, Liverpool Physical Therapy, and our awesome friends over at Rosie's Corner. Download, subscribe to the Slice app on your Mobile device, and order right from there. Pizza wings, pasta, hot and cold subs, and more. God, Rosie's is so good. Comfort food, fish Friday, you name it. Go there. If you're in and around Central New York, the place is absolutely spectacular. I was there earlier today grabbing lunch, and it is awesome. Rosie's Corner, a proud ML Sports Platter sponsor. And oh, by the way, a big tip of the cap thank you to our good friends of the platform, the Swan and Whitaker families, the Alonzo family, Daryl Abert, and Bob Lindsley. I got to tell you, he's done it again. And I didn't think it was possible because of all the greatness that he gave us before this, but man, bullies of Baltimore 30 for 30 is absolutely ridiculous. He's a filmmaker, VP NFL show head of hard knocks on HBO, the director of seven ESPN 30 for 30 films, including bullies of Baltimore, which premiered last month in February. He is spectacular. He's one of my favorite guests. And, uh, I can't say enough about this 30 for 30, man. I've seen it four times. I keep re-watching it. Uh, don't like the Ravens. Don't like a lot of the, you know, things that went into that, uh, that whole year. But uh, that 2000 Super Bowl winning team, one of the greatest defenses of all time. I have them as the second best single season defense. I know that might rub uh, things the wrong way in Baltimore. My sister is from uh, just north of there. But uh, I got the 85 Bears number one. I just don't know how that's going to be eclipsed. But this guy has crushed it for years. 30 for 30 films. NFL VP, filmmaker, the whole deal. One of the most accomplished people I've ever talked to. It's the great Ken Rogers. At Ken Rogers NFL. Ken, thank you so much for coming on. And my goodness, how good is Bullies of Baltimore? Which, by the way, is available still on the streaming platforms, including ESPN+. Thanks for coming on, my brother. How are you?
1: Thanks for having me. Uh, it's always great to talk about football and filmmaking, my two favorite passions.
0: Yeah, no doubt. So when you were making this film, what stood out to you about the 2000 Ravens other than, and I repeat, other than the defense?
1: <laughs>
0: it's it's
1: the attitude, really. I, You know, when I started looking back at this... Uh, team, which is very special to NFL films and its history because of the Hard Knocks uh, launch in 01, you sort of realize this team couldn't exist today. I mean, the defense, of course, you know, couldn't exist in the way they hit people and the way they um, you know, sacked the quarterback and, and the hits that they put on people. A lot of that's been legislated out. So on the field, sure. But off the field, this team uh, with these personalities and as loud and brash and look, bullish, that's why we called it bullish as they were uh, today on Twitter, they would, it would be seen as a distraction. They would be seen as a team that talked too much and didn't back it up back then it, in a non-social media age, it might've hit the airwaves, you know, nationally once, and then it would go away. Boy, if Shanna Sharp and Sarah Gusta, just those two, were were like they were in 2000, in 2023, they'd be the two most popular-slash-hated athletes in America.
0: Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And you know, I think that a lot of people in today's NFL, you know, the GMs and the copycat world and, you know, kind of trying to figure out how to build a roster— we all know that it starts with the quarterback. It's the most important position in all of sports at any level. But then people argue, well, is it the number one wide receiver to go along with Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, and Lamar Jackson, fill in the blank? Is it is it the number one corner to cover that number one wide receiver? Is it the number one edge rusher, uh, you know, to get to the quarterback to slow down a Mahomes? I got to tell you, I mean, maybe maybe people should go back to that Ravens team with that, those two big beefers up front and Sam Adams and Tony Saragusa because they plugged so many holes, and it allowed guys like Ray Lewis to go run free. Maybe that's the way to do it.
1: Yeah, you know, it proves that there's not one way to win. It is a copycat league, and, you know, I think everyone's still on the Find the Tom Brady, uh, you know, uh, program, and, look, a lot of those ma- names you mentioned, even if they're not Tom Brady, that they're, they're able to keep your team in the playoff hunt for hopefully decades, maybe two decades, if if they you know play like Tom did. But that defense, sure, it didn't didn't last as long as Tom Brady's reign lasted. But for that year, no one was beating them. I mean, that was the solution to winning a Super Bowl was to. There's no way you're running on those two up front. And as soon as you try to cut outside, Ray Lewis is faster than you. He's got you. And if you want to throw down the field, you got Woodson out there that's going to stop it, Uh, along with two great corners. There's nothing you could do on that team. So as they say in the film, you know, sure, we weren't the best offense, but all we really needed was six points and we were going to win. <laughs> and they really believed it. Like we, we look, hold, hold, if you if you can get a couple field goals on offense, we guarantee you the other team isn't going to score. And that's how they did it and uh, I'm not sure there's many teams that get built that way this in these ages. I think it's a different league, sure, but um you know, it's just a different way to build football and your first question like what were you interested in? That's part of it, too, is it? it couldn't exist structurally. This team is not how a GM would do it today. Um, but it really, really, really worked. And I think probably one of the most dominant sides of the football that have, has ever
0: touched the field. Okay, so the Ravens-Titans rivalry. <laughs> is it underrated all time? Because, goodness, those games, can were holy cow. <laughs> Boy,
1: I don't know if you can get more um it, it you know, I think there's probably equal I, I think it's a bummer it didn't last. Uh, I agree, good point. It, yeah. That there's much better than Eddie George versus Ray Lewis in those games. I mean, boy, they they were two equals and they were meeting head on head, uh shoulder to shoulder, and it was it was a war. Um I you know, I'm not sure we see a lot of individual matchups like that anymore where it's, hey, here's the premier defensive player in the league and in the same division, here's this premier running back. Um, you know, they were boy, they were great to watch. And it, it is a different sort of feel. It, it it isn't a let me out scheme you. It's a you take the ball and I'll try to stop you and we're gonna run at each other and we're gonna see who's tougher. Um, that that sort of rivalry, you know, Steelers, Ravens might still have that. There's certainly some of that still left, but not on an individual basis
0: like Ray Lewis and, uh, um, and Eddie George. So you have Nitschke and Buckus and Ed Reed and Von Miller, and you've got JJ Watt and you have, you know, Charles Haley and Deion Sanders and, So many unbelievable defensive players, you know, through the years, obviously. I I mean, the the list is endless. Ray Lewis, where is he in the pantheon? I'm not talking about Mike Singletary. I mean, there's so many. Bruce Smith, Reggie White. Where, Where do you have Ray Lewis in the overall defensive pantheon of players in the history of the NFL?
1: Yeah, it's hard to, you know, when you get to rankings and saying who's the best and, um, you know, best is such a weird word. I mean, I don't know. I mean, in what way I I, I do think that in his prime and really you look at 2000, there's not a much better prime. Um, I, I don't I don't know that anyone dominated like Ray Lewis did. Um, I can think of a couple examples. Lawrence Taylor changed football the way it was played on the line and dominated in a way, you know, for a year or two there that just changed the game. Um, Reggie White, you know, in 1987 in only 12 games had 21 and a half sacks, like, you know, just complete domination. Ray Lewis had that, but it it wasn't one aspect. It was everything, and that's what makes Ray, I think, a little bit, I don't want to say a step above, but unique uh, to to the other all-time greats. And there might only be five that are on his level, but he covered so much ground. He'd go up and he'd stop the run a yard behind the line of scrimmage. And he'd attack you three yards downfield and he'd back up and intercept a ball or tip it to somebody else. That's the nature of being a middle linebacker. And there's certainly some other great linebackers, but... You know, I think when people talk about the greats of all time, when you come to linebacking, uh, there's. There, it's a pretty hard argument to point out anyone who dominated an entire football field the way Ray Lewis did.
0: This is a touchy subject, and I know that you bring it up in the documentary, but you know where I'm going with this. You know, wrong place, wrong time, blah, blah, blah. You know, like head contacts. You know, there was a murder, Gold Club, Atlanta. But do you think he. I mean, do you think Ray Lewis murdered that human being or no?
1: Oh, I'm not qualified to, to answer that. Um, I, but my belief and and what I saw is that he was, he was at the wrong place at the wrong time okay. where things happened. And, you know, he, like a lot of us probably could have, uh, talked to the police differently. The, you know, the night after it happened, the day after it happened. Um, I, I mean, uh, I certainly don't have any inkling that uh, anything more nefarious was done, other than being at the wrong time, at the uh, you know wrong place at the wrong time, and you know that happens. I think to a lot of people. I think you talk again about the Twitterverse. Had that happened today, how different that might be. um, You know, certainly still sticks in Ray's story, and um, I think what we focused on is, okay, the next, the next year, how do you deal with that? Right. How does a team deal with that? And him taking that and turning it into this sort of gladiator moment of, look, I am going to win the crowd. That's the only way I can survive. You know um, I'm going to go out there and win my freedom by winning the crowd over. Um, that was, that was how we focused on it. Cause that's the story of the 2000 Ray Lewis uh, and I'm sure plenty of people talked about, um, you know, the, the the murders and the fallout of that. And I think it's one of those things that probably will never be fully uh, over with story-wise. But I do think Ray Lewis's legacy extends
0: uh, way beyond whatever happened that night. That's a great answer, as always, with our guy Ken Rogers. He is terrific at what he does, filmmaker, VP, NFL showhead. Of Hard Knocks on HBO, the director of seven ESPN 30 for 30 films, and all of them are, all of them are just—they're unbelievable. I watched all of them multiple times, including the recent Bullies of Baltimore. And if you missed it when it premiered in February, it's still streaming available on ESPN Plus and other platforms. So go get it. And he's on Twitter at Ken Rogers NFL, although Twitter is basically a dead app at this point. Um, and it's very annoying. I see your last tweet actually was February 22nd. So God bless your heart there. Um, what do you hope this is a two part question what do you hope that people say about this film Bullies of Baltimore and what do you hope that they say about that actual team that's a good question and I
1: I, I think what I wanted people to come away with is you know maybe we should all take our jobs and take our lives a little less seriously and have a little more fun and be a little more conscious of the camaraderie that we're capable of having. It it really hit home when Tony Siragusa passed away less than a month after we shot this great event with him and, and his teammates together. And, you know, we realized, wow, well, this was such a fun night. It was great, but it gets put in a whole new context when, at the beginning of the film, and, of course, at the end, you sort of understand that Goose is no longer with us. And then you see him on stage throughout the film, and I think you I think there's some bittersweetness there that you know, I'm really glad they had that time together. but maybe we should all have those times more often you know ray says it at the end of this uh, at the end of the show that you know we shouldn't wait 20 years to have a reunion why do we do that why do we wait to to get back together with people um life of course is short and if anyone proves it it's someone as alive as tony saragusa who passed away too young and and i think that team represented fun i mean they 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 were bullies they they loved hitting people but boy they just loved each other they had fun playing a game football has become a very serious business very big business and we all love it for, for that reason but maybe there's a little bit of fun that we lost since 2000 maybe maybe that team teaches us that There's fun to be had. It's not just about winning and losing. These guys loved being together. And you saw that on stage, and you see that in the life and legacy of Goose.
0: Was Brian Bill, Brian Billick, uh, he's kind of an interesting cat because he's so cocky. I mean, he really is cocky. (laughs) And you mentioned the swagger and the attitude and all that stuff, Ken, but part of Brian Billick was instilled into the team, and a lot of people didn't like him because of the way he acted. But yet the other side is very soft, it's very warm. I, and I agree with you on the stage. I thought when I was watching this thing, and I, I, I'm telling you right now, I watched it multiple times, Brian Billick comes across as, listen, I'm going to cut your throat. I'm going to slice and dice you. I'm going to absolutely stomp on your face. I'm going to hug you, though. We're going ha- to have a beer. We're going to have a cupcake together. We're going to hug each other. Like, he he's literally like both ends, but he was both ends to the way the team went on the field, wasn't he? I mean, he, he, yeah. he, he wanted to be that way with his players and he was warm. but then with the opponent, forget about it, man, all bets are off. And I still think to this day, not just on the stage in your film, but like when he goes on to podcast spots and NFL network and wherever he is, that is who Brian Billick is. He has both sides. And I got to tell you, that's how you win in sports, man. Right. Isn't it?
1: Yes. And, and I think he taught those players how to walk that line. He was a former PR guy. He was a PR guy for Bill Walsh at the 49ers before he even got into coaching. So he knew how to play the the, the media and how to, how to present himself the way he wanted to present it. And he wasn't afraid of saying, you know, we're, we're good and we're going to show you that we're good. He, he made sure that his players were capable of being who they were and being uh, true to themselves as long as they backed it up. And if you look at the, the the names on that list, so many have gone on to be in the media and have had that same sort of mix of brutal honesty and compassion, you know, tr- from Trent Dilfer to Shannon Sharp, Tony Siragusa, Ray Lewis, Rob Woodson, they've all done really well on TV because of that, because they have this edge where, you know, the viewer respects like, oh, they. They know what they're talking about. At the same time, they're not just mean about it. They're also very wise and caring about the game and, and the people that play the game. I think uh, I think in, in the end, Brian Billick really set a tone, not just for a franchise, really two franchises, if you count Hard Knocks and the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah. He set the tone for both of them. I think he set the tone for a lot of those guys' lives and how to... How to survive in the media, how to work in the media, how to be both of those things that you you just described.
0: A couple more quickies for Ken Rogers, the director of the amazing 30 for 30 Bullies of Baltimore. You mentioned a few minutes back about just get three, just get six, you know, and you win the game. Trent Dilfer is kind of like Brad Johnson in the annals of the history of the NFL as far as Super Bowl winners for quarterbacks. Maybe even, you know, a situation like Jeff Hostetler when Phil Simms went down and, you know, he won a Super Bowl, and I don't want to talk about that anymore because I'm, you know, staring at seven Buffalo Bills helmets, and you know. I did that
1: 30 for 30. Let's leave that. Yeah, on. right.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you did four falls of Buffalo. I remember we were texting about that, and you were like, oh, it's no four fall." I'm like, oh, gosh. If I could just get one, man. Um, but but seriously, I mean, it, it's not Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, right? Like Bart okay. Starr, Troy Aikman, Fran Tarkenton, Tom Brady, Roethlisberger, Breeze. I can go on and on. It's not one of those elite, elite quarterbacks uh, of all time that wins, and that's how it's really been. You need an elite quarterback. You need an elite head coach. It was Trent freaking Dilfer, and they won the Super Bowl. (laughs) But in this special, and I love Trent as an analyst. I thought he was a pretty solid, hard-nosed guy as a quarterback. In this special, he was really, really brought to the forefront, wasn't he, in terms of how important he was to the team?
1: he was and, and you know it wasn't cuz he just uh stopped the bleeding and got them you know got those 9 points a game that they needed or however many it was it was again the attitude he fit in with them he fit in with that defense you know there was you had to be pretty tough to even be on the same practice field as that defense mm-hmm. you know you had to you had to have a, a good enough personality that when your defense is out there destroying people and you're the weak link that you can handle that ego wise. And, and Trent really, I think um, solidified, put the team together. You know, it, he made it a team in many ways in saying, all right, we might not be the best offense, but we're not backing down. I'm not backing down. We're, we're, we're tough. we will handle it. He fought through a bunch of injuries that year. He knows he made some mistakes that year, but he also, never gave up, kept playing hard, focused his offense just enough to win. And sure, maybe not historically one of those great players that you mentioned, but some of those great players you mentioned and some great players that are playing today in various cities don't have a Super Bowl. And Trent Dilfer has one because he was able to fit in with a team that not, not everyone could have fit in with. And, and lead one side of the ball just enough to win uh the Super Bowl. And I, I think I think he's underrated for that. I think he had a pretty good career afterwards. Uh, and who knows if things went differently and they kept him around, if Baltimore could have could have went back to back and you know, in two thousand one if if maybe that wasn't the Patriots' year, maybe that becomes a, a back-to-back Ravens' year. How does history change if Trent Dilfer stays with the Baltimore Ravens?
0: By the way, how many teams have not won a Super Bowl? <laughs> Franchise history, whether they're moves or not. How many teams? Take a guess. Uh,
1: but that's a good question. I don't know the answer. Thirteen. To that question.
0: Thirteen still 13. have yet to win it. You ready and, for it?
1: So how many of them would uh, of those thirteen? Uh, would take one year of the Baltimore Ravens' success over all of the near misses that they've had.
0: Well, I'm a Buffalo Bills diehard psycho fan That's for about 38 <laughs> years, so I take you at quarterback for one year, okay, to win one. Yep. The teams are, and and you tell me if I'm wrong: Buffalo Bills, Bengals, Cleveland Browns, Jaguars, Titans, Colts, Texans, Chargers. Uh, Vikings, Lions, Panthers, Falcons, Cardinals. They haven't won one.
1: We had the Colts in there. That's the only one I I heard that was wrong.
0: Wait, did I say Colts? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Hang on, then. But that's okay. all right. No, oh yeah, because you're... going yeah right okay going back. So it's Jaguars, Titans, Texans. I just read the division. That division sucks yeah. anyway. So I just I just <laughs> threw them in. You know.
1: Um, yeah. Listen, I mean that defense and and a bad quarterback there's a lot of teams that would say we'll take that bad quarterback for a year. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, we'll take that off. We'll, we'll, we'll take that one hit wonder. If you want to call the Baltimore Ravens a one hit wonder there's, we'll you take know, it. okay. Yeah. At least 13 teams that probably would take that in a second and say, I would love to have a dominant year like that where we win it all. Yeah. I mean that, that that's part of the lesson of this film is that, it's really, 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 really hard. <laughs> it's really hard to put it all together, and that defense was so good that it, it, they willed themselves to put it together. I mean, they allowed one offensive touchdown in four playoff games, including the super Bowl. that's that's stupid, good. I mean I, that I, that's incredible. The fact that that they held four playoff teams to one offensive touchdown is. You know, I don't I don't know that anybody of any team would any fan of any team would say, I don't want to do it that way. It's a pretty good way to win.
0: It sure is. You know, hey, deep blue something. Ask them if their bank accounts are hurting from uh, breakfast at Tiffany's, you know. Um, (laughs) But yeah, you're right. It's it's now that I go go about. I don't know why I lump the Colts and they're obviously one with Peyton Manning and all the rest. But so we have Bill's. We have Bengals, we have Browns, we have Jaguars, Titans, Texans, Chargers. So seven teams in the AFC, and then you add Vikings, Lions, Panthers, Falcons, and Cardinals. So it's twelve teams still have yet to win a Super Bowl. You know that shows you how hard it is. Uh, give me yeah. in, in, in closing the most charismatic guy on the team was Shannon Sharp in my opinion. Give me a minute on him. Is he a be- is he the best tight end ever?
1: Oh, boy, that's another – I mean, there's another uh, barroom argument you can have forever. Um,
0: He's got to be top the, 3 got to be. The
1: eras yeah. of tight ends might have changed more than, than a lot of players. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's pretty hard to say Gronk and Kelsey and, and those guys aren't as good as, as Shannon was. At the time, though, Shannon was so leaps and bounds above everyone else that, you, you know, it was a different era where he just was completely dominant from Broncos to Ravens. Um, I don't know that there's as much separation these days between the top tight end and the couple behind him. We got some really good tight ends out there right oh. now. who You can argue, all right, who's the best playing right now. I mean, you couldn't really argue in 2000. It was, it, it was Shannon Sharp. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, there, there's plenty... Plenty of eras where there's a lot of competition. Shannon dominated just like that defense dominated. He didn't have really, you know, a productive year in 2000. That, that, that wasn't really it. It was the fact that you could know that Shannon was getting the ball and you still couldn't do anything about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. Well, I got to tell you, Ken, uh, I've had you on a bunch of times and your work is uh, it, it's mind-boggling how you do it. I can't wait to see what's next. Um, and this this Bullies of Baltimore was must see TV. Man, go get it, everybody! ESPN, thirty for thirty films. Bullies of Baltimore still streaming on ESPN Plus and other platforms. He's a filmmaker, VA, a VP of NFL showhead of Hard Knocks on HBO, and the director of seven ESPN thirty for thirty films, including that aforementioned Bullies of Baltimore. Premiered on uh, in February. I don't can't remember the date, but it premiered in February and still available. Where you get your streaming services, including ESPN Plus. He's on Twitter at Ken Rogers, ESPN. Ken, thank you so much. Congratulations, continued success, and I can't wait to see what's next, man. Thank you. Uh, I, I appreciate you watching, and uh, and, I, and I I guarantee we have some
1: interesting stuff coming from NFL Films. <laughs>